Throughout history, stories have captured our attention. There are stories that spark laughter, stories that bring us to tears, stories that inspire us, and some that lead to fear. But the best stories, the stories that change us, are the ones that teach truth, eternal truth. have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. We're going to be looking through this entire chapter this morning. Now, if you don't have your Bible, don't worry about it. We'll have the words on the screen. But Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, as we continue our series on stories, listen to what it says. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of ten bridesmaids who took their lamp and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy, fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you, so you too must keep watch. For you do not know the day or hour of my return. My wife is the queen of last minute. And don't get me wrong, I struggle with this as well. But my wife, she's the queen, she's an expert. She has a PhD in last minute. She waits until the very last minute to get up. She's going to get the very last little bit of sleep she can. She waits until the last minute to pack, no matter how long of a trip we're going on. When she has to speak at an event, she waits until the very last minute to prepare. And I've always told my wife, "Hun, one day this is going to come back and it's going to bite you and you're going to be sorry. Well, four years ago, Sherry earned a trip to Maui, one of those trips you, you dream of, a trip of a lifetime. We got our paperwork into the company. We made our plane reservations. The day was set, and all we had to do was get to the airport on time. Well, that morning, we got up early. Sherry started getting ready. She started getting her last few things together. And all the time that she was doing that, I looked at my watch, and, and I would occasionally tell her, hurry up, we don't want to be late. 
Well, we finally left our house and headed to the Columbia Airport. And as I was driving, I kept looking at my watch. I knew that we were cutting it close. But we got to the airport and got to the desk 25 minutes before our flight took off. The problem is, is if you are checking bags, you have to be there 30 minutes before your flight takes off. It's the law. They don't make any exceptions. And so here we were standing at the ticket counter with our bags and the lady behind the desk with all the sympathy she could muster says, I am so sorry, it's too late. Well, as you can imagine, Sherry melted. She literally, and I'm not joking, she literally fell to her knees crying. And so I'm sitting there talking to the lady, trying to figure out what our options are. Well, fortunately, we find a flight that is leaving from Charlotte that will get in Maui just 30 minutes later than this flight was going to get there. All we had to do was get to Charlotte and get checked in within two hours. Fortunately, we made it, and we had a good time. But we almost missed the trip of a lifetime because we waited too late to get ready. This morning, we're going to be looking at three stories that Jesus told, and each of these three stories have to do with his return, something that each and every one of us want to be ready for, something that, that no one wants to miss. But unfortunately, each story reveals that there will be people who are not ready when Jesus returns. Now let me set the stage for you. Chapter 24, Jesus is leaving the temple. And as he looks at the temple and all the buildings on the temple grounds, he says one day every building in the temple grounds will be destroyed. Well, a little bit later... When he was alone with his disciples, his disciples asked him this question. When will this happen? And what are the signs that will signal your return? And in chapter 24, Jesus gives us some of those things that are going to happen before he comes back, before he returns. But then Jesus says this. He says, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not the angels not even the Son, only the Father. And then Jesus says this. I want you to listen. He says, you must be ready. You must be ready all the time because the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. You must be ready all the time because the Son of Man is going to come when you least expect it. And it is after this that Jesus tells these three stories. Three stories that tell us about three groups that will tragically not be a part of God's kingdom, God's family, when Jesus returns. And what makes it so tragic is that as we read these stories, each of these groups believed with all their heart that they would be a part of the kingdom. All of these groups believed that they were going to heaven. That's why 
this chapter and these stories are so important because the truth is there are probably some of us, and truth be told, there are probably many of us who are going to be just as surprised as these people when Jesus returns. So what can we learn from these stories? First, in light of Jesus' return, don't procrastinate. Be ready. Be prepared. The first story is about a wedding. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, you recall we told a story about a wedding, and we discovered that, that a Jewish wedding had two parts. They had the ceremony, and then they had the feast, or they had the party. And like in our day, the ceremony was when the vows were made. And then that would often take place in the bride's home, and then they would have the party. And the party would often take place at the groom's home. Now, after they had the ceremony at the bride's home, the groom would leave. He would leave his bride with the bridesmaids, and he would go home to his house and prepare for the wedding feast. And he would tell the bride, he would tell the bridesmaids, be ready. You don't know when I'm coming back, but you be ready because I'm going to come and pick you up, and we're going to have a party. And they did this to create the anticipation for the event. And all the bride and all the bridesmaids had to do was have their oils, their oil for their lamps, have their lamps and be ready because this most often took place at night. And when the groom would come back and he would bring his bride and the bridesmaids, they would walk through the streets with the lamps lit, celebrating, and then they would go into the party. Every Jewish bridesmaid knew this. They knew, my job is to be ready when the groom comes back. I need to make sure that, that the wick is ready in my lamp. I need to make sure that I have enough oil for my lamp. And so the groom left, and he said, I'm coming back. Be ready. You don't know when I'm going to come. But he got delayed. Took him a little longer than he expected. And so the Bible tells us in this story that the bride and the bridesmaids got drowsy. They fell asleep. And around midnight, they heard this cry because this is what oftentimes happened. There would be a trumpet that would sound, and then someone would shout, The groom is coming. Get ready. Well, about midnight, they heard that. And so the bridesmaids got up, and, and five of them who were ready began preparing their lamps, adding extra oil because they had been sitting there with their lamps lit and their oil got low. But there were five who didn't bring enough oil. And so their oil was, was getting low, and they knew that they would not have enough oil to make it to the party. And so they asked the five who had some extra oil, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, we don't have enough for you and for us. Go buy some. And, and so they ran out to the shop to try to buy some. But while they were at the shop, the groom came. And those who were ready... They began going through the town celebrating, went to the party, and after they got to the place of the party, they shut and locked the doors. Well, the five foolish bridesmaids found oil. They came to the place of the party. But when they got there, the doors were locked. So they cried out, Lord, Lord, open the door. <laughs> and the master, the Lord, said, believe me, I 
don't even know you. Now, don't miss this. These five bridesmaids were part of the wedding party. They were friends of the bride. They were planning on going to the party, but they procrastinated. They weren't ready, and they missed the party. If you recall the story that we looked at several weeks ago about a wedding feast, there were groups that refused to go to the party. There were groups that rejected the party. They rejected the invitation. But these didn't refuse to go. They didn't reject the invitation. They were planning on going. They just weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They procrastinated. And so when they were left outside, they said, let us in. And the Lord said, we don't know you. Now, did these five bridesmaids know that they needed oil for their lamps? Yes, they knew that. Did they know where the shop was to get oil? Yes, they knew that. Were they invited to the party? Yes, they were part of the wedding party, but they weren't ready. They thought it was okay to wait until the last minute and everything would be okay, but it wasn't. You know what? There are some of you here today who are planning on going to heaven. It's not like you've rejected Jesus. It's not like you've refused him. It's not like you've looked at the evidence and you've said, I don't believe. You're, you're just waiting. You haven't fully committed your life to him. You've got some things that you want to do. You've got some seeds that you want to sow before you fully commit. You're kind of like these bridesmaids here. In your mind, you have plenty of time. But we don't know how much time we have. Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. It could be any day. It could be any hour. Now, why does Jesus come like that? Why does Jesus make it clear that you don't know when I'm going to come. You just need to be ready. Is it because he wants to catch us unaware? Is it because he wants to surprise us? Is it because he wants some who want to be a part of the wedding to miss out because they just aren't paying attention? No, that's not it. You see, Jesus knows this. Those who really know him will be looking for him. Those who know him will be ready for him. Those who know him will be living in a way that will show that they are prepared for his return. And so they will not be caught unaware. Be ready. Don't procrastinate. And so if you're here this morning, you go, one day, someday, I'm going to fully sell out. One day, someday, I'm going to get everything right and everything ready. But I've got time. No, you don't. It's a dangerous thing. These bridesmaids, they were part of the wedding party. They were involved in, in the celebration of the vows. They had their lamps. But they missed out because they weren't ready. Jesus admonished them to be ready, to be prepared. Don't wait to accept Jesus. But then Jesus tells another story. I want you to listen to what he says beginning in verse 14. 
He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money, his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward and He had five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant, with the one bag of silver, came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Don't miss that. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crop, I didn't plant, gathered crops, I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Then listen to what it says. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The first story tells us when Jesus returns, we need to be ready. Don't procrastinate. This story tells us when Jesus returns, we need to be working. Don't waste your life. This story is about a man who goes on a long trip, and before he goes, he calls all of his servants together, and he gives them his money. Notice that he's calling his servants. These are people that he had a relationship with, supposedly. They worked for him. They knew him, supposedly. He gave one five bags, one two bags, and one one bag. Now, before I go any further, let me just make it clear that God decides how many bags you get. God decides how many talents you get. Some of us look at that and we go, well, why did God give five to one and two to one and one to one? Well, he's God. God can do what he wants to do, can't he? He's God. Here's the thing you need to understand. The one that had five and was faithful, he treated the same as the one who had two. And was faithful. And he would have treated the one who had won if he had been faithful the exact same. 
God determines your gifts. God determines your abilities. God determines your opportunities. You determine how you're going to take advantage of what God gives you. And what you need to understand is that every gift, every opportunity, every talent is given to you by God to be used to build his kingdom. So here was God. He's the master. Jesus is the master. He leaves on a a trip. He, He gives these amounts of talents, money, bags to these servants. Five to one, two to one, one to one. He leaves. And we're told that he has gone for a long time. And when he returned, the one who had five now had ten. And the master praised him for being faithful. He said, let's celebrate together. The one who had two now had four. And the master praised him for his faithfulness. And he said, let's celebrate together. But the servant who had one, he still had one. The Bible tells us that he was afraid that he would lose it and the master would be mad. Now the problem isn't that this man had one bag of silver. The problem isn't that this man had one talent. The problem is he didn't use what God gave him and the reason was he was afraid. Do you know what the number one command in Scripture is? The command that is found more often than any other command? Do not be afraid. That command is found more than any other command in Scripture. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And do you know why? Because fear is the opposite of faith. Faith does. Fear does nothing. The man who had five invested it, worked with it, and doubled it. The man who had two invested it, worked with it, and doubled it. The man who had one because he was afraid of what would happen, he buried it and he brought it back to his master. You need to understand that this servant didn't steal his master's money. He didn't do anything evil or wicked with the master's money. He didn't waste the master's money. He didn't squander the master's money. He simply did nothing with the master's money. And I want you to notice what it says. The master says, you wicked and lazy servant. Oh, don't miss that. You wicked and lazy servant. He wasn't wicked because of what he did. Listen, he was wicked because of what he didn't do. Did you hear me? This servant wasn't wicked because of what he did. He was involved in all kinds of immorality and and, and gross indulgence. He was wicked because of what he didn't do. Do Don't miss this. Wickedness isn't just doing bad things. Wickedness, according to this story, is not doing the good things that the master expects to build his kingdom. I want you to listen very carefully. This story teaches us. It teaches us that God doesn't save us simply to make us moral. He saves us for a life of service. Did you hear me? 
God doesn't save us so that we won't be involved in sexual immorality, so we won't be involved in drunkenness, so we won't be involved in all of these other things. Sure, God changes us in that way, but God saves us so that we will serve him. This is what Paul said. He said, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not of work so that no one can boast. And then Paul said this. He said, we are his, God's workmanship, God's masterpiece, created by him to do good works. God saved us so that we would work For him, we're living in a world that is trying to get us to pursue an end that isn't biblical. That day when we will be able to sit on the beach or sit in a rocker and enjoy our retirement. That day when we can go on trips and die a painless death, but the Bible never teaches that. You see, God expects us to invest our life in kingdom pursuits. And I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about reading your Bible. I'm not talking about giving 10% of your income. The master certainly wants us to do all of those things. But what I'm talking about is being engaged, actively engaged, in his mission on earth. God saves you. So that you can get connected to his mission. Two years ago, I was sitting in a meeting where David Platt was interviewing one of our missionaries that is in a closed country via Skype. And we could not see his face. We did not know his name because the country he is in is so dangerous. He said as David Platt was talking to him that every day when he goes to the market, he is buying stuff at the market next to Al-Qaeda members. And as they were talking, David asked him, why in the world would you go over there? And this is a young man with four young children. Young children. Why in the world would you go over there when you know when you know that there is a target on you, when you know that you or some of your family may not make it back alive, why would you do that? And this is what he said, because the gospel is worth it. Because the gospel is worth it. We have this idea that we get saved and then we sit. We come to church when we feel like it. We read through open windows or we have the Bible app and we read some devotional and we're pretty regular at it. We throw in our money and if we're really committed we give 10%. And we do these things and we think, man, I am really committed. And yet we're not. We're not. All of those things are important, they're valuable, but Jesus saves us for so much more than that. He created us, he saved us so that we could be a part of his work. And the Bible says there is coming a day when we will stand before our master and he will settle accounts with us. 
And here was this man who did nothing wrong. He gave the master back everything the master had given him. He just didn't invest it. He didn't use it. He didn't multiply it. He wasn't involved in the kingdom of God. He wasn't involved in the king's enterprises. And the king said, you wicked and lazy servant. Can I ask you what you've done for the master lately? What have you given up? I mean, really given up. What have you sacrificed? What have you laid on the altar and said, God, here is my yes. Whatever you want, I want to do. These first two servants, they invested their lives. Not building up their kingdom, but building up the kingdom of the king. We've got it backwards. God's going to hold us accountable. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. Some of us think that this passage right here is, is talking about being faithful and it's talking about rewards. You know, there'll be different rewards in heaven. I want you to look at me. Listen, this is important. Two of these servants entered in to the celebration. The one who buried his bag he was thrown into the outer darkness. He was cast out. He didn't enter heaven. This isn't talking about rewards in heaven. Some of us will have more rewards in heaven. This is about heaven and hell. Now, now is this saying that we're saved by working for God? No, it's not saying that. We're saved by grace through faith. But it is saying that a faith that saves changes us. A faith that saves gives us a heart for the mission of God. And I'm here to tell you, if you don't have a heart and passion for the world to come to know the Jesus that you have, and you're not willing to put your yes on the table and say, whatever you want, Jesus, I am yours, then something is wrong. My wife and I were talking this past week, and and, and I realize that I've got time left if Jesus tarries and my, my health continues. But we're just talking about that day when, when I step aside and I retire. What do we want to do? I mean, we didn't, we'd like to enjoy going to the beach. We'd like to enjoy taking our grandkids on trips occasionally. Those things are fun. But that's not what we want to do with our life. And I said, babe, we really need to put on the table before God, God, whatever you want us to do, we'll do. If you want us to take six months out of every year to go and, and minister and serve our missionaries overseas, we need to be willing to do that. And I know how you hate to fly. And I know how you're picky about restrooms and bathrooms and where you sleep. But we really need to look at this. Because i got to tell you, we're not building a kingdom for down here. We're building a kingdom for eternity. And it's not our kingdom, it's his kingdom. Don't procrastinate. Be ready. Get to work. Don't waste your life. But then he tells us another story. And that story begins in, in verse 
31. Listen to what it says here. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand, the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire. Prepared for the devil and his demons, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. This final story warns us to not live for ourselves. To not be an imposter. This story makes it clear that not everyone who considers himself a Christian will go to heaven. And the difference isn't what you believe so much as it is what you do. The Bible teaches that saving faith changes us. Are we saved by faith? You better believe it. Is salvation a work of grace that you will never deserve? Yes. Do you have to receive it and that's it? Absolutely. But it is a gift that when received changes every single thing about you. From the top of your head to the tip of your toes. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, faith without works is dead. And then he said, faith that doesn't produce good deeds is useless. Are we saved by what we do? No. But the faith that saves causes us to do. A faith that saves transforms us. Our identity in Christ changes our activity for Christ. God doesn't save us so that we can continue to live for ourselves. God saves us so that we can begin to live our life for others. He saves us so that we will no longer be self-centered, but we can be other-centered like His Son. He saves us so that we can get involved in His mission so that we can have his heart 
Too many of us pray a prayer. We come to church. And then we live our life for ourselves. And this is serious. If we take what Jesus said seriously, this is a big deal. Jesus says there's going to be people that aren't ready when he comes back. We need to be prepared. He says there are going to be people who aren't serving him when he comes back. We don't waste our life. We serve him. Jesus says there are going to be people who aren't ready when he comes back because they do not have his heart. They aren't reaching out to those brothers and sisters, the least of these who are hurting in his name to build his kingdom. And that is a serious, serious thing. What this is saying is there's going to be many. There's going to be many who on the day of his return are going to be surprised. And I got to tell you, every time I read these passages, it drops me to my knees. And I examine myself. And I look deep within to my heart. To see if I have truly been transformed by the blood of Jesus. Because listen, praying a prayer isn't going to get you to heaven. Believing facts will never get you into the kingdom. Your heart has to be changed by the power of God. And when your heart is changed, you're going to be looking for him. You're not going to be building a kingdom here on this earth. You're going to be serving him with all your heart. And you're going to be reaching out to those who are less fortunate than you. Especially those who are suffering because of the kingdom of God. The power of the gospel changes everything. Now does that mean we'll be perfect? Absolutely not. Will there be times in each of our lives when we get sidetracked? Probably so. But the question we have to ask is this. Has my heart been changed? Or did I simply want a, a fire insurance policy that would keep me out of hell? Do I want to invest my life in God's kingdom? Because that's what his servants do. We recognize it's not about us. Jesus didn't save you so that you could enjoy life. Jesus saved you so that you could serve him. So what that means is this. It means that we have some young people in our church that need to put their yes on the table and they need to be willing to say, Jesus, 
whatever you call me to do, wherever you call me to serve, I want to do it. If that means putting my dreams on hold, if that means changing my wants for your wants, then I will do it because it's not about me, it's about you. What that means is for some of us who are middle-aged, we're willing to come and put our yes on the table and we're willing to say, Jesus, you are so important to me that I'm willing to come before you and ask you, what is it you want? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to serve overseas? Do you want me to plant a church? Do you want me to sell something and give it away? What is it you want me to be? Because you're more important than anything else in this world. And for those of you who are already retired, it it may mean that you say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just enjoy these latter years as I drift off into the sunset? Or do you want me to make them count? Do you want me to invest my life until you call me home? And I think that's what happens when we really come to know him. So where are you? Don't procrastinate. Be ready because there are some in this room that you're going to wait. You're not going to be ready. Jesus is going to come and you're going to miss out. You need to get busy working. You need to serve him. There are some of you here who say you know him, but your life doesn't show it. You're using your life for the pursuit of the things of this world and not the kingdom of God. And then there are some of us who are so self-centered that we see people hurting, people in need. And we don't reach out, we don't serve. We don't minister in Jesus' name for God's glory. And Jesus says that those who live that way, they're going to be cast into the eternal flame. They're going to be thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're going to be outside the locked door when the party begins. So where are you? Are you ready? This is serious. Here's what I believe. I'm not a prophet and Bible terms like most of us consider a prophet, but here's what I believe. There are some of you here right now that the Holy Spirit of God is pricking your heart. You know you need to respond and give your all to Jesus and quit playing games. You know who you are. You know that you've been playing games. Some of you are older, some of you are younger, but you know that you've been playing games. The Holy Spirit is letting you know, and you need to respond today to the grace and the mercy of God because I'm here to tell you that you may leave this room today and your thought is, I will think about it. Maybe next week, maybe next month, but you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen next week. You may come back next week and the Holy Spirit never pricked your heart again like he is today. 
It's dangerous. It's dangerous. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so if you're here today and the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you know you need to respond to his grace and his mercy and by faith give your all to him, then I want to challenge you to do that. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and you know you need to respond to his invitation, not mine, would you in obedience pray this prayer to him right now? Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. Forgive me for waiting. Forgive me for playing games. Forgive me for rebelling. Oh God, I'm sorry. I know I've sinned. I know I've presumed upon your love. Forgive me. Today I'm tired of playing games. Today I'm crossing over the line. Today I'm putting a line in the sand. Giving my everything to you. I need you to do what I can't do for myself. Save me. Change me. Make me new. Jesus, I know you died for me. I know you rose from the grave. You told me the power of the resurrection can change me. Change me from the inside out. From this moment on, Jesus, I'm giving you my everything. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for saving.